0: Check, check. It would be such a shame to sound worse than I look. I showered this morning for this occasion and everything. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) If you didn't hear that at home, that's my uncle in the crowd congratulating me on all my big boy activities. Thanks to the team of four or five people that spent four or five hours here on their Saturday setting up a new set of drums and reworking the sound system. And I say that not to brag, but to thank them. And lots of times their stuff goes along pretty smoothly around here. And uh, for the normal Joe like you and I, we don't understand how much work goes on behind the scene. And so if you ever enjoy something online at home or in this place, just know that when there's a glitch, we're thankful that it's only one and uh, that it helps keep us all um, thankful for all that's been going on. When you set up something like that, there's a 50-50 chance it's going to work. And today, we got on the good side. It worked. There's another 50-50 situation this week. Did you all hear about Alberta and their referendum? So they were. this was the question that was on the referendum two or three weeks ago. Do you want Alberta to adopt year-round daylight saving time? which is summer hours, eliminating the need to change our clocks twice a year. That's code for Alberta was deciding whether or not they wanted to be like us. <laughs> Just in case anybody from Alberta is wondering what was going on there. So uh, in their 50-50 chance, 50.1% voted against 49.9%. If you've ever wondered if your vote makes a difference, you can think about this situation. voted to keep it with changing the clock twice a year, and 49.9% said no. So this message really isn't about Alberta or the way they prefer to do their time. But this is about how divided the world is. Before I preach, I want to make a free comment. You're all smiling behind that (laughs) mask. I know. we're all, I think, stunned at how divided the world has become. I hear people talk about America and, and in some places around America, it's just really, really disturbing at how potentially violent and how fragile things seem. And it seems that way in Canada too. Who here would like to be prime minister when for years now, not just this recent election, when you get elected to be prime minister, it automatically means six to seven people don't like you out of 10 because you can become elected with 30 or 40% of the vote. So that means six or seven people already didn't want you to have the job. Not a lot of fun, but now it's way more divided. COVID opinion, often divided. Political opinion, often divided. I've had people in uh, Saskatchewan, we've got basically two parties and we used to have three, but I've had people basically from all different parties and political spectrum tell me how they can't believe that somebody could call themselves a Christian and vote for the other party. Environmental opinions split, just this time-change opinion, just such a minor detail, just accentuates how messy things are in our world. And I think it's far less guaranteed today that the people you associate with think the exact same thing as you. Before, there was, you kind of associated in your family and your peer group, and for the most part, you all kind of went along the same line, same beliefs, same side of spectrums and things like that. And the person who didn't, well, they were, they were really kind of known for being a little different in the way they thought. Well now, there's, there's so many stories about workplaces and schools and families and lifelong friends and churches with huge amounts of division. And uh, while I'm not preaching on this, I wanted to start with this comment because we've often talked about um, the Rock Church being a safe and messy place, a safe place to come as you are, a messy place that you don't have to have all your stuff together. You can have your emotional baggage. You can have your relationship baggage. You can have your past church baggage. And uh, if you ever leave here, you'll have this church baggage to take with you as well. Right? Right? because we're not the rock church because we've somehow got the edge on the market. We're just trying to do what God wants us to do. But we're messy because we don't have to have it all cleaned up. And for the past 10 years, as we've talked about being a safe and messy place, we've often referenced it as our own stuff, our own relational messes, our own mental messes, our own emotional type messes. And we recognize we all need a savior to clean us up, to heal us, to lead us, and to guide us. But I was thinking as I've been processing what's going on, what type of voice should I as a lead pastor have? What kind of voice should the Rock Church have in this world of division? Because I gotta tell you, one of the concerns as a lead pastor, and I don't know if I've always got it right, is just if you choose a side or your personal opinion becomes how you think the church should be led, all of a sudden half of the world's alienated the world that you are supposed to be reaching, 50% is no longer in your pool of people being able to love because you're already at odds with them on issues that are not of the kingdom, but are of this world. And so I was thinking this week that we need an additional dimension that we don't often talk about and that our own personal stuff isn't just the baggage that I've just talked about, but it's actually our opinions and thoughts as well. And that messy church means that we can be a place Where you can come and have a different opinion or perspective or thought on a given issue and that when it comes to the life of the church and the body there are a number of issues that are lines in the sand that you have to believe in order to be a part of the family of god or to be going to heaven jesus is the son of god jesus is the savior of the world he's come to forgive us of our sins and there's there's a however many you want i don't want to minimize but half a dozen a dozen you can make the list whatever a very key Beliefs that are core to actually believing Jesus and who he is But there's a number of other things in our world that are not needing to cause us division, but mean Basically our God has given us a workshop to work on our character to develop our Discipleship in order to how to love other people that hold a different opinion than us There should be a lot more amens When we relegate the kingdom of God to our personal beliefs and that everybody has to line up with those particular personal beliefs, we are shrinking the place that God has given us in this world. And there is far more that we can do. And so as a safe, messy church, don't assume, I've seen it, uh, I remember a time about five or six years ago, maybe the new President of the United States had just come in, and I saw one person who was highly in favor of that President talking to somebody who I definitely knew was of a different pr- political strife, and they just stepped into the conversation as if everybody would believe their exact same beliefs about that. And it wasn't, it was not a comfortable situation to watch take place. And so we don't wanna assume that the person we are speaking with agrees with us. And we also don't wanna assume that we have to convince them to agree with us. We actually wanna be able to listen. We wanna be able to hold space. Everybody put your hands out in front of you for a moment. At home, you can do this too. Where am I looking? New camera, hi from this angle. Is this a better side? I'm not sure. (laughs) You wanna hold the space. That's part of the job as a Christian that when it comes to the things of this world and our conversations and reaching people, And that's what we want to do at the Rock Church is to create safe space so people can experience Jesus, they can hear about God's love, and the safest space, they don't have to worry about if they think the earth is round or flat. (laughs) Hey, There's people in the world that believe it's flat. And my job as the pastor up here isn't actually to convince people if it's round or flat. Can you believe that the world is flat and still go to heaven? Hello? Yes. Yes, you can. But I don't think we always live that way. I think we actually believe that people have to think like us in all directions often in order to experience the kingdom of God. And so we want to learn how to honor, respect, room for listening, room for speaking. I said this a few months ago as I learned to do it myself. It's far better to listen with your mouth closed (laughs) than open. Because when our mouth is open, we're formulating our next thought in order to give in rebuttal to that. But if we listen with our mouth closed, we actually have a better chance of taking in and understanding that person's perspective and point of view. And trust me, you don't want everybody to think the way you do because then the world would just be as crooked as you are. <laughs> or as crooked as I am. There's another statement that somebody could go online, clip it out, and post online that the Rock Church pastor is crooked. Because I just said it <laughs> Oh loud. If we can't be a church in a place that learns to love people with different thoughts and opinions than our own, then we're not really a church, but we're a club. And a club just has, like, really slim boundaries and margins in regards to what it takes for an, on, in regards to interests. So the Rock Church, we want to be known for the great commandment and the great commission, learning to love Jesus and each other as we reach them. If God is... Indeed, meeting us in our mess, we can trust him to hold the space to be a safe and messy church, and we can keep our eyes on him. Amen? Still love me? It doesn't really matter now. now If if you don't love me, now you have to forgive me, and so either way, I trust you'll be like Jesus. Jesus. So today, uh, last week we said God is on the move, meeting us in our mess. Today God is on the move in times of change and there's a good chance that this message is already split into two. And I'll preach the second half of this message that was supposed to be about Elijah's transition to Elijah come the middle of November. There, we did four weeks with Elijah and we're supposed to transition to Elijah because next week Joel Wells from Harvest City Church will be here to speak the first message on Elisha. So we're excited about that. Then Leah Beitler, my beautiful wife, will preach the week after that about uh, Eli- Elijah healing Naaman. And then I'll be back and I'll, I'll track back to this type of thing on Elijah and Elisha. And then Boyd Hopkins will wrap up this series the end of November as he talks about Elijah and Gehazi. Sounds good, hey? Who God is bringing in our midst. So uh, times were changing in elijah 's day. Uh, there was some international and a political k- change as always. Kings were changing, they were praying and working for spiritual change. but um, elijah was Elijah pardon me, was having a tough go of it, really, in regards to the ministry. If his ministry was v- viewed as a success because the nation that he was called to all of a sudden turned around and followed God fully, fully, it just never happened, and it was part of his distress and part of his his condition that we're going to talk about. But over the last three weeks, we've talked about some big themes trust, courage, obedience, faithfulness, thankfulness, faith. And today, uh, we've, and in those times, we've talked about telling the king that there's a drought coming. We've talked about uh, having miraculous food provision, hiding in the wilderness, a showdown with false prophets, miracle rain, and then Elijah running and fearing for his life. So today, we're going to carry on. Um, With another huge theme in regards to the voice of God and when we carry on later on next month we'll probably talk about the call of God and presence of God some some pretty big stuff but I think we can get a lot from Elijah Elijah where we ended off last week he had kind of fallen and collapsed he was getting fed by the angels bringing him bread and being baked on the warm the warm stones or whatever they did, however they did that, in the jar of water. We all took in that fresh smell of warm baked bread, if you remember us doing that. That bread was pretty awesome because as you're gonna gonna hear, I think we're gonna read it, he traveled for 40 days based on that one meal, or those two meals, it strengthened him, miracle food. Uh, He had high pressure, high stress, his body was tired, he was mentally exhausted. And so here we pick it up in 1 Kings 19. So he got up and ate and drank, Strengthened by that food he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. I think I'm sounding a little too energetic for what Elijah was actually sounding like in that moment. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So after um, Elijah ran and he was nourished and rested, he traveled 40 days. God led him to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And that's the mountain of God. That's where Moses would have got the Ten Commandments. That's the place that we're talking about. And it took him traveling 40 days and 40 nights. And when he got there, went to the cave. Some people wonder if that's the place that Moses actually encountered God. God says, why are you here? How many of you are surprised that God wouldn't know the answer to that question? How many of you think he's asking a hypothetical question or a theoretical question, um, trying to get at the issue beneath the issue? And unfortunately, we don't hear the whole story that goes on, but but we recognize the setup a little bit based on that question. He's basically saying, Elijah, what's got you to this point? What brings you to this season in time? I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, the Israelites, pardon me, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Maybe at that moment, Elijah wants to say, what do you think is going on? What, on the world, what in the world is going on, God? I'm supposed to be your prophet, and this is how my life is playing out? But God is basically saying, why are you here? How did you get here? It's almost a doctor question. Anybody ever been in a doctor's office or a counselor's office? I've been in both, just in case there's anybody wondering if I've ever f- sought therapy and help and advice. It's almost that question, what brings you here today? Anybody ever had that question? Yeah, you tell them what's going on. Why are you here? How did you get here? What brings you here today, Elijah? Well, literally and physically, it's I followed the path for 40 days and 40 nights that the angel told me to follow in order to get here. Um, Realistically and fully, I have experienced and believing the following that he just laid out, I've been zealous for the Lord, I've tried to talk to the Israelites, they're killing all the prophets, and I'm the only one left. Basically, there's a whole moment of self-disclosure. He's evaluating the situation. It's permission to speak to God and spew out what's been going on. What's been going on is I think there's some bitterness, probably, some resentment, And I think that's led to self-pity. We can't know the full tone that's being talked on, but it's probably more of, I have been zealous for you. Those people are trying to kill me. I'm the only one left. I'm not trying to be humorous. I'm just saying that's the flood of emotions from anger and disappointment and depression to being on your own to fearing for your life. We know that later on, God answers him, and and one of the things he said is, there's 7,000 people that have never knelt to Baal or kissed the idol. But when we're feeling persecuted, when we're at our worst, when we're at our rope's ends, often we think we're the only one left. We feel more isolated than what the truth is, right? It's one of the important reasons. It's one of the reasons why God has called us to live in community. We all have to make our individual decisions to follow Jesus but he's actually called us to live it out in community because relationship is core to who he is and why he, why he created us to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with his people. And if we get too isolated on our own, we can actually start to believe our own thoughts even when they're sideways and wrong. You see, Elijah has seemingly done what God has asked and he would not have written the book to end up the way that it has written. Basically, he's saying, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know how I got here. I've done everything you said. You called me to be your prophet. I'm working with the Israelites. They're killing people like me left, right, and center, and now I'm all alone. You tell me, God, I don't know why I'm here. How many of us have ever wondered as we pause and do a moment of self-reflection and we wonder, I wonder how I got here. What am I doing here? How did I end up in this place? See, for most of us, our lives have gone a long ways from when we were asked when we were kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? A firefighter? A doctor? A video game developer? For those of you over 50, that's what kids today dream of when they don't dream of firefighting and being policemen or women. I don't know how I got here. My life has not gone according to plan. This is not what I desired or dreamed of. I don't know what I'm doing here. And then God shows up in this huge display of wind that beats the rock, earthquake that splits the land, and fire that eats up the the ground around it. But God was not in the storm, although he could hold all of those things in his hands. And we'll see in just a moment he comes, as you know, in a still, small voice. But he showed up with all the display and God wasn't in it. Sometimes I wonder that if we think our life would be far better if we just had some more awesomeness in it, some more power, some more big displays, some more answered miracles, would that make our life all better? See, God had often used such things. He, he had caused the earth to have an earthquake and split up and swallowed those disobedient Israelites at one time. He had fire fall from heaven, as we know, in the showdown with the false prophets. There was the wind to part the Red Sea. There was the thunder and lightning and smoke and fire at Mount Sinai when Moses was dealing there and getting the Ten Commandments and dealing with the Israelite nation. But even God doesn't always use the spectacular. Sometimes it's the still and the quiet and the small voice that he uses to speak to us. It's one of the reasons why we need time alone with him. We all want a good church service, but the reality is you live the other 140 hours of your life not in a gathering like this with a band that's been practicing or a preacher who's been preparing. We want those moments where God shows up in a fresh and new way, but our life is lived more in the quiet and the stillness than in the moments of display. And we need to get used to seeking his voice, used to hearing it, and used to obeying it. I'm afraid that most of us would choose The displays, I would often choose the displays over the quiet voice. The displays of heal me, bless me, give me, change me, change them, shake them. But it's okay, because this passage could never happen in Saskatchewan, where I pastor. Because there's no mountains here. There's just the pimple on the prairies, known as Blackstrap. And so while God might not be able to shake the mountains for us, we need to give him the space to speak in worship and word, quiet and solitude. If we were to continue reading that passage, we would have seen that God asked that question again and Elijah would answer him again. And God then gives him a new, uh, an assignment to turn around, to go back where he came from, that he's supposed to anoint the king of Aram, the next king of Israel, Jehu, and his succeeder, Elisha. And he's supposed to go back from where he came from. God was setting Elijah up for what was next. Elijah needed a shift in his reality and what he believed because if what brought him there in that moment, based on all his experiences up to that time, if he just stayed in that moment and that mindset and that current reality, he would not have been able to carry on in the things of God. He needed a shift, and God met him in that moment. Elijah couldn't stay the same, and he came away from there changed and, and uh, obedient again and revived again to do what God had him to do. We don't want things to stay the same in our lives either. We're content for what God has done and what he has done, but we recognize that there's moments in our lives that Jesus needs to show up and to shift us and to change us. We need a new fresh degree of ability to love and care and forgive. We need a fresh degree of freedom That we live free of our sin, not free to live free like the world declares living, but free from sin so that we can freely follow Christ and love him and his people. Free from selfishness and pride. What is God saying possibly to us? What's our takeaway from this? What if you were on a mountain or blackstrap? And God said, what are you doing here? What's brought you to this point? You're 18, you're 38, you're 58. What got you to this point? Would you have some story like Elijah of how you've served God, what serving God has been like, and now what it's like at this current stage feeling all alone? Has bitterness or resentment creeped into your attitude and your perspective on life? Have you become disillusioned with what you thought this life was going to be like following him? And like Elijah, yeah, I'll be a prophet to Israel, but I didn't expect that it was going to be like this. There's going to give you a multiple choice, A, B, C, or D, and for if you're like me, it could be E, all of the above. But I'm wondering if one of these multiple choice points might be a part of your story whether today or in the future or has been in the past on what has gotten you to where you are today in some area of your life a a bit arrogant see arrogance often is based in truth but it's a little bit over the top elijah was professing how zealous he was for the lord god as he ran away from jezebel you hear what i'm saying he wasn't all that in a bag of chips as they say he was pretty awesome, and I wouldn't want to trade his, my job for his job in the world, but, but he was a little bit over the top, and his perspective was based on his attitude, which was distorted. It was, in my opinion, a little bit shaded with arrogance. Is your story that you tell yourself a little bit better than it should be? Is it got a little bit of pride woven into it? B, because of beliefs. We all make vows, we've all heard lies, do we believe them? We all have had doubts. Elijah believed that he was the only one left, and God went on to say there were 7,000. He was totally skewed in what his beliefs were. I don't know if he'd met the 7,000, just in the chapter or two before in 1 Kings, it, he knew that Obadiah had hidden a hundred in two groups of fifty in caves, and so he knew there had been other people around. But what he had chosen to believe—that he was the story he was telling himself—and what he chose to believe wasn't accurate. How's your storyline? Is the storyline that you've told yourself and choosing to believe the truth? Because if it's not the truth, it can land you in a place where you're not experiencing what God has for you. C, consequences of choices. Decisions that we've made as a believer or in the past not of a believer have led us down a path and it's possibly put us in a place that we don't want to go. And the good news is that Jesus is a redeemer and his plan B's and plan C's and plans D's often can work out far greater than plan A's to begin with. You see, Elijah was literally physically there because he ran away from Jezebel at Jezreel. His choice to run in fear landed him where he was. What decisions, that decision got him there, what decisions have you and I made that maybe weren't done in faith? Do we have any consequences going on in our life because the decisions that took us there weren't the ones that God might have wanted? And D, despair from disillusionment. The Israelites have not turned around. These people you have called me to have not listened. How can this be? And we can be disillusioned in this world, in our church experience, in our world experience, in our family experience, things not going according to the plan the way we would have written out. How can this be? How many of you you remember the guy named Sinbad from 30 years ago? The big comedian. I watched on Netflix, they just put out a 1993 comedy special by Sinbad, and uh, he's got the one-piece, now that we call them onesies, but he's basically got a one-piece blue tracksuit on, and he's lighting it up, but if, if you didn't tell from his attire that he was 30 years out of date, and you didn't tell by the, the set design, and you didn't tell by... Um, the the number on the screen that said 1993, you would think he was talking about today. Kids today, parents today, this world today. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say is that this world, if you go back generation after generation after generation, we've always been worried about the next generation. There's always been trouble. It's just what's coming next. How will the world ever survive And they were talking about that, they've been talking like that for centuries. And so if you take arrogance and bad beliefs and consequences of choices and despair, and you are like me and choose E and say all of the above in my life in some way, at some point, in some combination, and you take A plus B plus C plus D, you might get a few different answers. It's not true math, but in my situation, those equal self-pity. It sets me up for looking at my life as, God, I don't know why I'm here. You let me be here. I'm the result of what you've allowed. But you see, God is always wanting to purge us from selfishness and our self-sins and move us to selflessness and to be discipled to love God and others. You see, in my story, in my life, I have lots of self-pity, self-loathing, you're gonna be able to hear maybe the arrogance or bad beliefs or consequences or disillusionment in this example that I share. My, my children were fairly young at the time. I think I was, my whole family was in the vehicle and we were running an errand and I remember being parked at somebody's house and I, had been on the, I was on the cell phone with somebody who loved me and it wasn't my wife, although I believe she loves me even though she's not here today. She was sitting in the vehicle with me and somebody was on the phone with me and I was, we were making a decision about going away for the weekend and they were encouraging me to take time for my family and that I was working too hard and there might have been some things out of line in my life. They weren't condemning and they weren't being harsh. They were actually dripping with care and compassion for me in that moment. And I took such offense. because. I don't know if you know, but I'm supposed to have it all together. I don't know if you know this, but I made a deal with God when I went to Bible school in 17, 18, and 19 that I would make hard choices and do hard things early on so that I would get better payback later. Some of you have made the same deal, and it hasn't quite worked out that way. And I, I broke down, I remember crying as they were saying, what is going, what are you gonna do? What decisions are you gonna make? And how are you gonna move forward? And I broke down and I say, when will it ever be good enough? And the self-pity really kicked in. I've loved God my whole life, and I did. I made a decision for Jesus when I was just a little kid. I didn't always, but like Elijah, I'll say, I love God my whole life, but there was times it was lukewarm, a little bit better in my head than in reality. I make good choices, I go to work, I work hard, I work, I go home, I take care of my family, I go to work, that's all I do. I don't go out with friends, I don't smoke, I don't blow our money on gambling, I don't chase other women. When will it ever be good enough, God? Sound like self-pity in there? Disappointment, despair, disillusionment? Thankfully, God was chasing me And in the midst of my self-pity, in the midst of Elijah's situation, God stepped in. And Jesus began speaking in my life and moving, dropping people in my life to bring truth and my pride, my wrong beliefs, uh, the changing of the way I lived and choices that I made, my disillusionment with the situation. He began to address it all. And if you see anything in my life today that you think is encouraging in the kingdom of God, it's because God rescued me 10 years ago. And when I was on the mountain or what felt like a a valley or in a ditch, God began doing the work to get me outside of myself and to heal myself, to move me on. And the interesting thing is that when Elijah finished meeting with God and God finished ministering to him, what happened to Elijah? He was sent back to where he came from. 10 years later, I'm right where I was 25 years ago. That is funny. (laughs) And I'm glad somebody got it. Thank you, sister. He began to speak and move, but I had to start giving him time, start journaling, start reading the Bible, start surrendering my attitudes and my philosophies on how ministry, family, and marriage should work. I had, him, I had to have him rock me, and thankfully, he came to me in a still, small voice so that there was something to redeem. Maybe you are like me. And you need to give Jesus space to speak. You see, Jesus doesn't despise you. And the good news about recognizing where you're at is that he always is wanting to meet us where we're at. And he's always wanting to reshape and to to change. He cares. He's compassionate. He pursues. He meets you where you are at. And there's a change that he wants to do, not because he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. I'm going to start to wrap it up with Hebrews chapter 18, and it's not going to be on your screens. It's from the New Living Translation. It's the last portion of that chapter, and I encourage you, if you have a phone with your Bible on it right now, or Bible, or at home, please open it up and read along. Hebrews chapter 18, the first few verses are kind of describing about this type of situation that Elijah was in, and then he's going to start talking about Jesus. And it's so encouraging to me today, and I hope it is to you. Hebrews 18, verse 18. You have not come, he's talking to the people he's writing to. You have not come to a physical mountain, Rock Church. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. Are you getting the picture? Mountain, shaking, smoke, fire, blast, amazing voice. Verse 20, they staggered back under God's command. What was the command? If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. So there's what's going on before Jesus came and with the Israelite people and the sense of awesomeness that they're supposed to be approaching God with. But then the author says in verse 22, no, no Rock Church, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. You see, our world is shaking, and you're feeling it in this world. The structures and the systems shake, but what will remain is unshakable, and we are of a kingdom that is unshakable. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come at this time. And our, as you heard in those last few verses, The warning is that we would listen to this God. This God who has given us Jesus. This God who has provided a way. This God who wants to take us from our own selfish sin and self-focus and self-centeredness and self-pride and self-pity. And he wants to heal us and have us follow him. Elijah basically had to turn around. He had to recognize where he was and then go back where he came from. Maybe that's your story. Maybe there's something out of the A, B, C, or D that you have to surrender to God. And that he wants to meet you at. And that God in your life, the way he did in Elijah's life, has the next season ahead of you. But until you give him space to heal you, to deal with the things that don't line up according to his will, he's got to put you there in order to get your attention. And in order to do that next work. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you that your word is true and that you love us. And I thank you that you love us just the way we are and that you love us so much that you don't leave us as we are. And that you pursued Elijah, your faithful servant, and even in the midst of his his uh, mess and what got him to that particular point that you showed up and you spoke to him and so god i pray blessing over each person in this room or online that you would give us a tenderness and a desire to listen to you that we would not turn away from you but we would turn towards you and to take the steps moving forward and so god where we need to repent of arrogance we repent where we need to repent of false beliefs and vows or lies that we have taken in, we repent. Where we can recognize there's choices that we've made that, led, that have led to consequences of where we are now, we repent of those choices. God, where we have sunk to despair because of the disillusionment of this world and how we thought it was supposed to go, we repent for putting our view above your view. And so, Jesus, we ask you to heal us, to move in us, to shape us, and to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.